you came from a great distance, and I know that it always seems worse before you get here, and then you think, that wasn't that bad. Hopefully that's what you thought this morning. As you're finding a seat, I thought I'd tell you a joke that I heard. This lady came up to her pastor after church and said, Pastor, I uh, wanted to know if you would do a, a funeral. Uh, my cat died. And uh, the pastor thought a minute how he could get out of that, you know. He said, uh, well, he said, uh, and then he came up with it. He said, uh, you know what, maybe you could go down the street to the Presbyterian pastor and or the Baptist pastor, I, I hear he does that. And she said, okay, okay, I, I can do that. Hey, one other question. Do, do you think $1,000 is too much for a cat funeral? He said, uh, now wait just a minute. You didn't tell me that the cat was the symbol of God. <laughs> How many know that we're in a building process uh, program? Let me tell you, your pastor knows that the expense of building a building is great. So I don't want to do any cat funerals, but if you've made a pledge or would like to, we would uh, really enjoy paying for that building. Let me tell you, this week we're still in the process of getting some of the undergrounds dug, which means bringing electricity into the building and uh, putting all the what-ifs under the parking lot. It's always smart to think ahead, isn't it? Instead of thinking later, we should have put a pipe underneath so that we could have gotten wire underneath it, but let's cut the concrete. No, we don't want to do that. So that's kind of what we've been waiting on, trying to get all that in order with the weather, uh, trying to cooperate and all that good stuff. But hopefully this week, everybody that's, uh, the contractors will be healthy and not sick and be able to do those things and Everybody else will be online and we'll be able to see it really go up. Now this morning, we're going to continue our series on the kingdom. And, and you know, what, what's important is, is, is I'm preaching, as Lisa said, she took the words right out of my mouth as I was even preaching this morning to, you know, the empty building, kind of just preparing for the message. I, I said the very same thing that Lisa did. When you're taking notes and you're writing notes, sometimes you'll hear something that I'll say that the Holy Spirit will say right there. And uh, it'll depend on how you take that word that you'll write it down on your piece of paper, something that I didn't even say. I mean, I've had people come to me, you know, maybe a year later and go, man, that sermon changed my life. You remember you, when you preached on that? And I'm thinking, I never preached on that. But they heard it a different way and they applied it to their situation at that time. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, do you... Uh, do you remember when you were in school and the joy that it brought when you told somebody, would you be my Valentine? Come on now, be honest. Some of you that are married this morning will, will just assume that the uh, spouse is going to be your Valentine. But uh, I, I want to encourage you, man, to make that statement or ask for that. And uh, just that all that goes into Valentine, we're going to talk about kind of some things this morning as far as the kingdom and, and training to reign in the world that God has put us in that, uh, you know, that can change our life if we allow this revelation to really get a hold of us. Now, what, what I mean by that is, now again, let's go back to school. Do you remember when you were uh, maybe in elementary school and how, you know, you would get to school and you would just say, 
yes, ma'am, yes, sir, whatever the teacher wanted you to do for that day, you know, and you'd say, okay, that, at a certain hour, you knew that you were going to be in lunch, and, and then you got a little bit older, and you entered into that next stage of uh, school, it's called junior high, and all of a sudden, you begin to see all life's problems a different way, because you had all the answers. And then it progressed into high school and you, you went to be in high school because you were just a little, whatever, 7th, 8th grader. And then you became a ninth grader and all of a sudden it was like you progressed up to the higher levels of adulthood. And, but you realized that there was some older people there called juniors and seniors. You know, it's like sophomores, they, they just get forgotten for a year. But, but the juniors and seniors would come and they go, oh, we don't do it like that anymore. You're not in junior high. And we, we started seeing it a different perspective. We even thought, you know, the teachers don't know anything. Mom and dad don't know anything. Not even stopping to realize that mom and dad had been where we are right now. And then they progressed to another level called maturity. But do you remember when you were 19... And you graduate and you go, what now? Because now you've graduated from high school and nobody's making you, well, in my family, a couple more years to go. But, but then you graduate one day from college or high school and you go, what now? Because nobody's making you. And usually there's one thing that begins to mature you and that's called responsibility. Anybody? 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 Feel responsibility before? And all of a sudden, all those, I, I, I got all the answers. How many times have we thought the older we get, the more you know that you don't know? But there's something about that junior high, high school stupid stage where everybody's stupid but you. And then, then there's a difference when you're a parent and you look back and you go, I, I know what you're thinking because I was there. And, and at the, in the stupid stage, you're going, no, you don't have a clue. And there's something about mom and dad and there's nobody on the face of the earth that loves you more than mom and dad and wants you to succeed. But there's something that when you're in that stage, you go, I don't know if I believe that. They won't let me go out with the car. They won't let, you know, and they, there's a struggle of intellectual reasoning if, if mom and dad love me enough to do what's the very best. We get older... And even in what we call the physical realm, we might be maturing. There's something about the spiritual realm that goes without when we get to that place where we just cannot believe. We cannot say it's tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Because why? Because there's something inside of us that goes, maybe he just doesn't know what I'm going through. We can read the Word of God. We can hear the Word of God. We can hear testimonies of people go, man, I didn't know, and man, God brought me through. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've come to know this as a fact, but it's a constant struggle for me, as it is you, to continually, day by day, say, God, I, I trust you. Here's the statement I want you to remember. God's perception, His perspective is reality. And I want to have His perspective. 
I don't want to have this false perspective that's based on my experience or my false, you know, someone telling me something that is wrong and, and going through, God, I, I did, yours didn't work in this and I, I couldn't see it here. And God, No, no. I, I want to just get to the place where I say, God, for one thing, I learned in my own little stupid stage when I went through it, mom, dad didn't have a clue. And then I become mom and dad and I go, man, I could have made it through here a lot easier if I would just trust mom and dad. That, that's just a little bit of an illustration compared to the huge amount of trusting God. Did anybody get that beside me? I, I got that this week and I, I began to meditate on that, meditate on that. And I thought, God, if I could just continually say, God, I believe you and I trust you. Then, as the song sang, you know, we sang today is, I won't believe of what has been spoken over me, but what has been written on my heart. Sometimes what has been spoken over you is you speaking it over you. Because the number one person that hears your fear, doubt, unbelief, complaining, griping, you know, all the things, it comes right back in and you hear it. Now, I just want to confess this morning something to you that this message is going to be so much easier since Gwen is in the children's church room. That will be a lot funnier at the end of the message when you put that together. But it's good to have Keith and Christy here this morning. Usually they're with our children and do a great job, but we try to give them a break once every about 20 years if they need it or not. See, see God's perspective is said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. And he says this, to compare your thoughts to my ways is like comparing where the earth is to where the heaven is. That distance, that, that's the difference between your ways and my ways. And, and, and he says, every time that my word is spoken, it comes back what it was sent out to do. We have to have that perspective. So, so this morning, I want you to see just quickly as we're talking about the kingdom of God and, and that we're here and God has created us to rule and reign on this earth. The, the story goes, remember that God sent or put man and woman in the Garden of Eden and said the things of, I want you to work the garden. I want you to expand it. I want you to, to rule and subdue the earth. Everything is yours. R realize that here's Adam and Eve and when they sinned, when sin came into the world, that, that was not God's plan. But because sin and destruction and death came into the world, I, I want you to see the things that have happened. But before that, I want you to see that there was not a lot of rules. There was just a lot of responsibility. The only rule was just don't eat that tree. The knowledge of good and evil. But there was a lot of responsibility. There, there was something to do and that was to increase the garden. And have you ever wondered, and I, I said this a couple weeks ago, but I, I really believe that if man wouldn't have sinned, that we would have had the responsibility to expand the garden until it filled the whole earth. And, and when you think about that, really, as we're getting into this, we realize that even today, part of our reigning on earth is to expand the garden. Now, I'm not talking about planting tulips and apple trees and singing Johnny Apples, whatever. But the purpose of where we go, we need to bring life to that situation. To walk into darkness, and when there's people that are not believers, listen, they're not the enemy, they're just walking in darkness. And when light comes into darkness, darkness doesn't have a choice, it has to go. So this morning I want you to see again that here comes in sin into the world. 
Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for you and I so our sins can be forgiven. Now, when he's here, he asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? Now, we remember that Peter says, you are the answer, which is you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You, you're the answer. So Jesus says, on that rock, in other words, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church and even the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. In other words, when you think about it, Jesus dying, going to hell, getting the keys of death, and coming back and saying, I have everything that was taken from man. I have come to redeem man, to restore man back to his original position of reigning on this earth. All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Again, Ephesians chapter 1 says that all names, all, he is higher than any name. He has given all authority and everything else is put at his feet. Now what's exciting for us as the believers is that that's our God. It's not a matter of, well, I don't know if I believe that. Your lack of belief doesn't make that not a fact. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, now, when you get into processing this, you, you, you realize that the original plan of God for man in the garden was not aborted. Jesus didn't come to put plan B into place. He came to, again, restore the original plan of man reigning on this earth. That's exciting for me. But it's in us learning how to enforce the victory that was obtained on the cross. Now, now think about this. We are born to rule in this creation. The kingdom, the word kingdom, means king's domain in its original purpose. Again, mankind ruled over creation. But because sin entered into the world, us enforcing the, the victory of the cross on this earth it is to realize that, that creation has been infected. Now, now realize this. Because a lot of times the problems that we go through in life and the people that we love the most that go through things like disease and sickness, uh, even afflicting spirits and poverty and natural disasters, demonic influences and such, is learning how to reign with the authority that God has given us. Now, now again, there's so many times that we walk and so little revelation, we go, well, you know, Pastor, I, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if that's all true. The, the reason of unknowing is because the word of God has not been read in that person's life. They, they don't know it. It's almost too good to be true, but you'd say, well, if God said it, it has to be true. But then it goes back to your intellectual reasoning, if it's true or not, instead of just taking a step forward and saying, I believe you. Your perspective, God is reality, not mine. You say, Pastor, I, I don't really see a lot of demonic spirits and influence in, in my life and in the world that I... And I want to say, open up your eyes. H have you ever seen divorce? There is demonic spirits at play in divorce and bringing that conflict between a husband and a wife. I, I've seen it in my marriage, as I've told you before. The number one person that I have most conflict in this whole world is my wife. But there's nobody that I love the most. So there's a decision that I have to make. And when that 
emotion rises within me. You know what I mean? We can be going down the road and she goes, you missed the turn. What? Anybody, anybody? Harvey, Glory isn't here this morning, so I assume you're going to yell the loudest and amen me. All right. Me and you. Me and you, Harvey. So this morning, I want to kind of take us to another step. Romans chapter 14, verse 7 says, The kingdom is peace, joy, and righteousness. So we talked about righteousness being one-third of the kingdom. And we talked about seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given as well. When we read that, we think that seek first His kingdom, and then there's this other thing, righteousness. But it's not that way. The righteousness is the kingdom of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The measure of righteousness that you exhibit in in your behavior. It's not in your position, your title. It's in your behavior. It's the fruit that comes out of your life. The measure of righteousness that is exhibited in your behavior is to the measure we reign in this life. In other words, wherever we go, we're bringing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're bringing the life into that situation. We, we are not people that should come in being the complainers and the, you know, the, the negative and I don't know, the sky's fallen. The chicken littles, you know, the sky's fallen. We're the people bringing life. And again, just again, before I go on, I want to make sure you realize that when we talk about being kings or queens in this world, that we're not referring to the, the modern day or even the ancient day of a king ruling. It, he was always self-seeking. But with the kingdom of God, we realize that Jesus being the king, he comes and puts a robe around his, or a towel around his waist and begins to serve, begins to wash his disciples' feet. It's a whole different kind of serving. It's a whole different kind of being a king. We're to reign in the, you could say, to empower people in the life that they're living against the demonic spirits, against disease and sickness, against that we come into that situation and say, let me me just lay my hands on your your, uh, cancer or on your situation. The, the famous part about talking about what we should do as a believer, and, and we talked about righteousness, but this morning I want to just stop and talk about joy. Now, now a lot of times when we talk about joy, we think of somebody that just might smile. And, and that would be a good start for some of us. Because you know that most people during the day you walk by are not smiling. You go to Walmart and you walk through the aisle and they're not smiling. They don't have it doesn't seem anyway, just on the outward appearance, the fruit that's coming out of it, that they're not very joyful. Now again, I'm not talking about, you know, wearing your slippers and finger bells and, you know, going through Walmart. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Don't go too far. But this morning, joy is also a third of the kingdom. In the book of Nehemiah, Here's a group of people that have already exhibited, or they've seen, I should say. All the people begin working together for a common goal, and they saw the goal take place. They built a wall around Jerusalem that had been beaten down. They lived in fear, and because now they have protection, they saw God through Nehemiah come and and restore the wall. 
Now, Nehemiah, the next step says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to reinstate the reading of the Word of God publicly so the people can understand. Now, remember, there's a group of them that are in Jerusalem because of the exile. They've come back to Jerusalem. So some of the people that have just been born in the last 20, 50, 60, 69, 70 years since they've been gone, they have no clue about the Word of God. They've been living in a pagan culture. So they come back and Nehemiah reinstates the reading of the Word of God, has the priest and the Levites get up and they begin to read the Old Testament. They begin to read the Word of God. And it says that the people begin to get sad when they get to hearing the Word of God. They begin to grieve and they begin to even mourn. And Nehemiah, it says, you know, they begin to, he begins to go, what? This is a holy day. You need to have joy. But here's what he says. The joy of the Lord is your... See, some of you have heard it before. He says, this is a holy day. This is a good day. You need to be celebrating. Not just because the Word of God is revealing things in your life that you are doing or, or that you have done. But the good news is that God loves us. That He's called us His people. Because they understood the word of God, it said that then they began to realize what it said and they left celebrating. Do you know that the joy of the Lord is different than just happenings or happiness? Because what I've found out, if, if you're not careful, happiness is because you got something or something happened in your favor. You know what I mean? And you can go to Ecclesiastics, you know, uh, with Solomon. And, and he's been given extreme wisdom that also riches. And I mean, he's got a thousand women. Some think that was a blessing. Some think it was a blessing. And uh, But here he is, everything, he says, everything that my eyes saw that I wanted, I could get. And if you read that, Especially Ecclesiastics, I believe it's about 6-6. Six, six. He says, if somebody you know, uh, lives a thousand years, say two thousand years, and, and they're never joyful, they're never thankful, what is that? Because we're all going to die. But, but the thought is, all through those chapters of Ecclesiastics, everything, he wants this, he gets it, he wants that, he gets it, and he comes to the point, he goes, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. Do you, do you know what vanity is? It's worthless. It's just not. And he goes on and on to say, you know, this is vanity, that's worthless, that's worth Because everything that he wanted. Isn't it true that we think if we just had that, I'd be more joyful? See, joyful, again, is happening inside the person. It's not because of something that happened to them. It's a choice. You know, I, as I'm preaching this, I'm going to this point and, and I begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to take me, take me and teach me again that our whole mission of our church, this is our vision, this is our mission statement, this is who we are, this is what we say every week pretty much, this is what we push, is that we as a church, the chapel, create an atmosphere. And, and the reason why it's an atmosphere is because we can't make you. We create an atmosphere of a growing, loving relationship with God and our neighbor. That's why 
when you get to knowing God and, and who you are, you begin to think about it and you begin to read. And you, it's not long, hopefully, until you come up with the two greatest commandments is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now let me give you a little quiz here and see where you're at. What are the people that are involved in that? And what's the common thread that runs through the, all of it? Who's the people that are involved? Eh, time's up. All right. God, your neighbor, and the third one is the common thread that runs through both is you. So today I want to talk about you and romantic love. What? Loving God, we talked about it last week when Paul says, Oh, I want to know God. And the points last week was, I want to know Him personally, powerfully, and passionately. And we, we talked about that. But this morning I want to talk just next about loving yourself. Now, if you say, what? I need to love myself? I need to love myself? Don't that sound kind of squirrely? Haven't we been told, taught in our culture that that's just wrong to love yourself? I'm not talking about pride because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I'm talking about realizing who you are in God and walking in that identity. Now, now again, I, I use the illustration. You know, sometimes we think that we're humble if, if we start being negative to ourselves. But how crazy does it sound like I could, I could uh, you know, let's say Brianna. I'm going to pick on her. She did this painting, and I said, isn't the colors awful on that? And they're not even the same size. Would I be complimentary to the artist, or would that be negative? That would be very negative. So when you neg are negative to who you are, realize that you're not being complimentary to Jesus Christ, who is the model, the image of who we were created in. If you cannot love yourself, you'll find that it's impossible to love your neighbor like God's asking you to. Now, if you don't realize that, you're going to say, well, I, I love him good enough. No, that's not what God's going for. Because a lot of times, if you're not careful, you'll even have the ability to be... Uh, You think you love yourself, but really you're a hurting person that's self-absorbed. You know what I mean? It's all about me, 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 me. And sometimes we think of those people, and a lot of times they have pride, but what happens is they're hurting, and they're so hurting that they're self-absorbed. And they think they, they don't want to talk about anybody, they don't want to bless anybody, they don't want to love anybody but themselves because they're hurting. They want to talk about themselves all the time. Understand that what I'm saying is, as believers, as reigning in, in, in this kingdom that God has created for us, that, that a self-absorbed person is not bringing life wherever they go. They're hurting. And honestly, I think that this is a time in history that our country is hurting probably one of the most it's ever hurt. And so when we come on the scene, and, and we're not self-absorbed because we're, we're blessed with God, and we come in and we're bringing life... Do you know that so many times 
Being a blessing is just listening. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I got all those skills. I never went to Bible school. Can you not talk for a few minutes and just listen to somebody talk? I think that loving others is probably one of the hardest commandments. And the reason why is it loving someone that you can't control is so hard. See, see, uh, when we get to defining what love is, it, and, and man, I love God and I love to worship God, but I just don't like that person. Remember the Apostle John that loved Jesus and he even said he was the most beloved, you know, all that great stuff. I love that. Because my name's John. But he just defines love like this. You cannot say that you love God that you see and hate your brother. Or love God that you can't see, but you love, hate your brother that you can't. Can, I'm going to read it. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to give us a little break here and then I'll go on for a minute. A lot of times we can't love our brother or sister because of something they did. And sometimes it's because we take ourselves way too serious. Have you ever had an argument with somebody? Let's use your husband or wife, and you go to bed at night, and you wake up, and you go, I still should be mad, but I can't even remember kind of what it was. But I'm mad. We take ourselves too. Can we just for... I'm working on it too, guys. She's, she can't hear me, can she? Anyway, just just. Uh, Sometimes, you, you, if you realize that you just put a smile on your face, some of the silliest observations in, in life you can laugh about, but you can't laugh about yourself. I've got a video, a just real short video of a comedian with some of the craziest little observations. Well, watch this video.
figured we'd just spend the day sitting real close together on a boat. <laughs> you up to doing something like that with me? <laughs> Can we try to kill something? <laughs> Feels less weird if we're trying to kill something. Same thing with hunting. Imagine describing hunting, but just leaving out the hunting part of the explanation. Hey, Toby, good news. I found a tree fort out in the woods. <laughs> I figured you and I could cozy up an hour all night. Maybe wear some matching outfits. <laughs> Whisper softly to each other. <laughs> and if the situation's right, maybe we could put some makeup on each other. <laughs> 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 well, we have the basketball playoffs and the hockey playoffs happening. I always love whenever there's a best of seven series. Because then I get to hear my favorite sports reporter question. Would you consider this a must-win game? Yeah, they always feel like they have to say yes. Yeah, we want to win. It's very important, you know. Got our uniforms on anyway. Anyway, might as well try. But it's not always the right answer, man. It's a math question. I wish I would answer that question honestly. It's a best of seven. You're down one game to nothing. Would you consider this a must-win game? No. <laughs> no, we can lose tonight. We can lose tomorrow night, too. We don't want to, but that wasn't your question. You asked if it was a must-win game, and if you'd ever taken a rudimentary math class, you already know that magic number three. When you're down three, then you must win them or you're out.
Now, that has nothing to do with any Bible. But what it does have something to do with, you just for a few minutes begin to laugh at some crazy little observations. And all of a sudden, all the things that maybe has caught your eye and got you all tense, you think, not that serious. You know, as, as believers, as people that God has created for a purpose, the next step of my sermon is to you, to, for you to realize that to love somebody else, it makes it so much easier if you have the joy of the Lord as your strength. You go into it a whole different way. Well, let me give you an illustration, or let me give you a biblical illustration. In the Bible, in Luke chapter 15, there's three stories, and Jesus kind of is in a situation where he's loving on the people that are considered the dirty people, the, the tax collectors and sinners, and the, the religious people that, that thought they had it all together come into the scene and they go, oh, look at what he's doing. He's fellowshipping, he's, he's partying, he's being with those people, showing love to them. Can you believe that? And, and Jesus begins to teach them. In Luke chapter 15, he talks about three things that are lost. And Brianna spoke on this Wednesday night, and I began to think about it after she left and kind of shared what she was going to say. And, uh, you know, the three things is, is Jesus begins to say to the religious people. He says, the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. And he said, who of you, that if you had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost, wouldn't leave the 99 and go find the one? But here's the story. If you found the one, you would bring it back and you would rejoice. You would have joy to the point that you would call. It actually says this. He says that you would call your friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. In other words, let's celebrate. Because what was lost is found. Now again, it's so much easier to realize that joy of the Lord is our strength when we're going to love somebody. The next story is the story of the parable of the lost coin. A lady has 10 coins and she loses one of them. And it says she goes to clean in her house and she finds the lost coin and she begins to celebrate. But she wants to share the joy with somebody else. So it also says that she calls her friends and her neighbors and say, come celebrate with me. What was lost is found. The third one is the parable of the lost son. We call it the prodigal son. And you know the story where a son, the younger son, goes and he gets his father's inheritance and he goes and squanders it and he, he ends up in the pig pen and then he realizes it's better at home than here. And the story goes that he comes home. And, and I love this because the story, the father sees his son from a distance and, and he goes to his son and forgives him because his, his son is, you know, well, I'm not that good and I shouldn't be doing it. And he doesn't even hear it. The father doesn't even hear it. And it doesn't take long for us as believers, again, to hear the Word of God, His perspective through this parable, and you go, it's hard not to overcome with just the joy of this Father showing love to His Son. Now, now I want you to hear this. Because it says that He wants to celebrate, kill the fatty calf, put the family ring on His finger, sandals, clothes. I mean, let's restore Him back to His original status. But the story takes a turn when he talks about the older brother. Do you know what the difference between the father and the older brother? The older brother has zero joy. 
See, he just doesn't get it. He says, why are we celebrating and full of joy because this son squandered all that we had? All you had, Dad. A total different perspective when you don't have joy. The joy of God is your strength. See, a lot of times in our, in our lives when we have someone that we just don't really like, the joy of being around that person has been robbed. Another parable is Luke chapter 10 about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and this guy comes and he's a, you know, a lawyer, he's an expert in the law, and he begins to you know, you know, try to kind of trick Jesus. And he tells him about this story about the parable of the Good, uh, the parable of the good Samaritan. And the story goes like this, that he says after the, that the Samaritan helps the man that has been robbed and, and, and beaten and taken him to an end and helps him out and all that. Then he tells this lawyer, he says, which one of them acted as a neighbor? And the lawyer said, the one that showed him mercy. In other words, as we're talking about in the context of the kingdom, where we go, we bring life. In this story, the Samaritan actually brought life. The one that showed mercy. But I want you to see this. Because right after that, he said, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, do this and you will live. You know, when I read that, I started thinking, wow. If you do what the Bible says in that story, if you love God, love your neighbor as yourself, then you're going to experience life. Have you noticed that it's kind of hard to give away something that you don't have yourself? So some of us need to think about that this morning. You know, Pastor, it's just hard for me to... Do you feel loved? Do you have a revelation of the love of God in your life? Again, I believe the hardest command is... To love someone you can't control. And as a believer, as we're maturing, to walk in a place that we don't even have to see that person give us love back to be able to love them. Let, let me kind of give you one more and then we'll start the descent into closing the message this morning. The story of David. And he's celebrating because he gets to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is represented to the presence of God, to Jerusalem where he lives. And he tried to reason the way that he was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. And God said, that's, that's not the way that I told you to move the Ark of the Covenant. And, and he's left the Ark of the Covenant down at Obed-Edom's house. And, and then he, he thinks, well, maybe we need to check the, you know, the owner's manual, the Word of God and how to transport it. In the, the owner's manual, God's word says that priests need to carry it. And so they're, they're carrying the Ark of Covenant, seven, eight miles, whatever it is, from Obed and Edom's house to Jerusalem. And, and every so many feet, David begins to celebrate and he, he begins to sacrifice animals in celebration and he begins to dance before the Lord. And, and actually, he has on just kind of an a undergarment as he's dancing. Just again, the, the celebration, the joy, listen, of bringing the presence of God to his home. As he approaches Jerusalem, they set it up in Jerusalem and, and bless the people. And he goes home. And on his way home, his wife, Michael, the 
daughter of Saul, the previous king, comes out to meet him. So you, you can see the, the sarcasm. And she comes out and says, Oh, did the, you know, king of kings there, the big guy, did he show himself dignified today? And I want you to see this because she has no joy in her life. No matter the circumstances, the fact is at this moment when she saw it, she has no joy. And David says, who am I? I'm the man that God chose to replace you in your household. And he says, I will continue to worship my God. And if you think that's undignified, you haven't seen nothing yet. And the thought is this. How foolish being joyful in worship looks like to somebody that doesn't have the joy of the Lord. They don't get worship. It's almost like, why are those people so happy? What, what, what is up with them? Can I encourage us as believers not to be one of those people? The joy of the Lord gives us this, the ability to be able to love somebody that isn't even lovable. Let me give you this. This is a wonderful time of year, and we call it Valentine's. And as a young man, I thought, who in the world invented Valentine's? It seems like every month I'm giving a gift to my girlfriend. You know what I mean? But I wrote down some of the stages of love in a romantic relationship. See if you can identify with me. The first stage is the meeting. This is the meeting, you know, you ask, where did you meet your wife or your girlfriend? You say, well, it was at school, it was at, you know, this event, it was at that event. The, the first step, boy, they've got it even on the, all right, and it's typing out faster than I can talk. The meeting, it's the eagerness to see if there's going to be another meeting. I like her, I like him. Then there's an anticipation of the meeting. Can I meet him again? And again, this is just John Miller. The expectations of sightings. There she goes. There she goes. Oh my goodness. Look at her. And there's a little butterfly. Anybody ever to this stage? Everybody? Anybody beside me? Okay. Stage three is the nervous. It's the oh my moments together. You give them the flowers. It's Valentine's gifts. Unlimited resources. There's nothing. Your car broke down, it's going to cost you $500, honey, and let me take care of that. If you've got it. Unlimited time, I'll probably fail all my classes, but I'm going to be with you again tonight. Stage four is the commitment to the relationship. It's dating towards marriage or dating more seriously. Then stage five is the familiarity. Here's where it hits every day. Everyday life hits. You might experience it after you get married, depending on how long you've dated. Everyday life hits. Anybody ever been here before? Everyday life hit? Huh? You think of him as Prince Charming. He's the style guy. He can play all the sports. And you get married and you realize, I didn't know he had to go to the bathroom. 
Everybody gets sick some of the times, and you're not very classy and dignified when you're going, oh, you know? See, I, I, I kind of like a little pampering when I get sick, you know? Gwen's like, please leave the room. Okay. Just want to tell you, you weren't like the first day I met you. Everybody gets sick. At times, everybody's a little lazy. There's times where we're weak and not as strong as when we were dating. The butterfly stage. Sometimes we complain. Has anybody ever seen this in somebody that you've loved before? I'm not talking about the person you're sitting with, but somebody. (laughs) Honey, I didn't know you had bad breath. Could you please? Now, Now listen, as I wrap this up, this is where the robber of our joy comes in. Because what has happened is life happens to all of us. But if we do not keep the joy of the Lord in our relationship with our wife or the person that we love, it begins to to come to stage number eight, which is the breakup stage. It's fighting against, well, I don't know if I like consistent or reliable or steady or unwavering, predictable. It's just mediocre. You either break up or there's a choice that you begin to mature in a relationship and grow closer. In spite of all the distractions, the kids, the job, the finances, the stress. Would you please quit typing? (laughs) I know that's going. And what happens is, it is so easy to just lose the joy because of all the distractions. And when you get the choice of either breaking up or maturing into a deeper relationship, so many people in a a society where it's so easily just, uh, relationships are disposable. It's just... Kind of does, hey, flush it, but we'll go to another one. Now, now, let me give you the whole context. Remember that most people don't do what they don't have to do. So to go into maturity in a relationship, to, to realize, to, to go deeper, goes to stage number seven. And, and again, this is just my observation is the rediscovery of romance. You know, the, the world we live in, kind of we make fun, you know, it's kind of like the three couples that were sitting at the table. Uh, a newly married, one that's been married five years, and one that would just celebrated 50 years. And the young couples, the, the little guy says, you know, could you, could you pass the sugar, sugar? And they all, <laughs> they all laughed. And the next couple said, pass the honey, honey. And they all <laughs> And the older man looked at her and said, pass a tea bag. <laughs> the older couple were in a truck and they were driving down the road and they came to a stoplight and, and they looked over and there was this young couple. And I mean, she was nearly sitting on his lap. And grandma said to grandpa, why don't we sit like that anymore like we used to? He says, I haven't moved. See, see, we know all those jokes. We know those funny times about how hard it is because of all the distractions of life to rediscover romance in our relationship. Now, now listen, I'm talking about the one that you love in your spouse, but also I'm talking about loving God. 
and even rediscovering loving yourself and forgiving yourself. Because the rediscovery of romance in your life is to reignite the passion for romance that was once there. And it starts with forgiveness. Forgiving yourself. Sometimes we need to forgive God, we think, because He did us wrong. And forgiving others. Now watch this. We know some of the things in our physical husband, wife, girlfriend, to reignite passion, to go on a date night. You know, I, I, I love that our youth pastors years ago decided to have Wednesday night for the young people because Gwen and I had date night on Wednesday night. Free child care, but they got blessed at the same time. To reignite passion is to have an adventure or to have a memory. But also when you're loving God, it's to take long walks with God. To spend time with Him. To spend time in worship sessions. If, if not just the time that we're here at church, but also the time that you... Do you know how many opportunities we have that our grandparents didn't have? And just YouTube and podcasts and all the different CDs and things that you can buy. And you can spend time in worship with God. Reigniting the passion that you had. In stage one, stage two of your relationship. To journal things that God has done is so important because when you go through negative times, it is remembering back about what God has done in your life. Loving God, loving yourself, and loving others. I want to ask our ushers, I've got something, Luke, I think has it. Would you guys pass those out? I think we have some back here at the back. This is Valentine's week. If you're like me, I like to celebrate all week. Courtney and I have something together. Her birthday is a whole week. Lisa says, no more. Courtney, do you have a birthday month? But, you know, I'm I'm with her on that. I, I like to celebrate a long period of time. And, and, you know, this week, as you spend time with your, your wife or your loved one, it all starts with forgiveness. So this morning, through what is now the Passion Translation, I, I wanted to give you this handout that you could read, just again, to fall in love with not only your husband or your wife, but to love yourself and to love those people, those other people, those neighbors in your life. It starts with forgiveness. To fight through the distractions of life is a choice. It's not easy. Some of the hardest times of even reigniting the passion with Gwen and I is when our children were younger. To be able to push things aside that maybe were just things that watching TV or something to spend time with her. Very important. And it's the same thing in our passion with God. There's so many distractions that we face today. So many distractions. So many other opportunities than than spending time with God and spending time alone. Let me tell you, the work pays off when you realize that we are created to reign in this life. And the more joy that we have 
it's easier to do the things that God has asked us to do is loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving ourselves. This morning as we end this message, I, I just want to pray. And maybe some of you have gotten in a place that your relationships are kind of boring, you know, and you go, God, I, I just don't love her. I don't love him. I don't like all this stuff that's in my work because of those people over there. I, I don't like, I don't love, I don't, I'm not joyful. Let's pray. God is the answer. Father, today, we love you so much. And Father, sometimes we take ourselves so serious that Father, that we, we don't have time. We think that we don't have God joy. But Father, when we realize of what you've done for us, there's no alternative than God to be thankful. And God, that when we're thankful, we become joyful. And God, people love to be around us because of the joy of the Lord is our strength. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning that they would get a breakthrough in their relationships. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.